Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. If you're snacking on anything but tasty cake, you're making a huge Miss Cake. A fistful of chocolate-covered raisins? Miss Cake. A spoonful of peanut butter? Bigger Miss Cake. Or the worst Miss Cake of all, your kid's Halloween candy, and it's April. If it's not tasty cake, it's a Miss Cake. Because nothing satisfies like a perfectly sweet butterscotch crimpet. Or rich and creamy chocolate peanut butter candy cake. Tasty cake. Except no substitute. Hey everybody and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Jason Lipschutz and I'm an associate editor and the Pop Shop blog editor of Billboard.com. Based in New York, on the other line in Los Angeles, is the Maddie Ziegler to my Shia LaBeouf. Keith Caulfield, how's it going, Keith? I'm good and we, we clearly we both just watched the new Sia video. <laughs> What'd you think of it? Um, I thought I, I thought it was interesting. Um, I thought it was interesting. It's a it's a if you haven't seen it yet, it's a uh, kind of a sequel-ish to see a chandelier sequel. video. Sequel-ish, yeah. Yeah, oh. I, I, I hope. I, I feel like this is, this should be the end of like the Sia Maddie Ziegler collabos for now. Don't want you don't want to go to the do the same thing too many times. Yeah. but I do. Yeah. I agree that it's it's kind of like this weirdly bizarrely touching kind of dance fight between Shia LaBeouf and a 12-year-old, which is a weird thing to say. Well, yeah, I mean, because uh, if you haven't seen the video yet, basically Maddie Ziegler is, is sort of doing her chandelier thing where she's wearing the blonde bob wig that is sort of kind of effectively a stand-in for, for Sia herself. Um, and she's in her little bodysuit like she was in the chandelier video, and she's dancing crazy um, as she did in chandelier. This time she's in what amounts to a very large birdcage, yeah. and Shia LaBeouf is also in a bodysuit. So on the onset, you kind of have that sort of Mm, creepy feeling because Shia LaBeouf is a grown man in a bodysuit in a birdcage with a little yeah. girl in a bodysuit, kind of creepy. But then it turns into sort of this interesting interpretive dance. You know, they're they're two birds kind of pecking at one another to a degree. You know, they're fighting, and the, the, it's kind of hard to tell what's happening. There's so many emotions that happen, and you're not quite sure exactly what happens at the end. It's certainly interesting to watch. Yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. There's your review. You don't need to watch it now. No, no, no. You don't. You, you really it. don't. We we did it all. We we recapped it in audio form. So that's even better than a five minute music video. Anyway, anyway hey, Keith, hey, what's up? We're back, man. We've been off for like two and a half weeks on the Pop Shop Podcast. This is this is our third calendar year of uh, Pop Shop Podcast. Oh my goodness gracious! We just keep on rolling and rolling. And guess what, man? The first show of 2015 is a packed one. We have so much to discuss today. <laughs> There's so much to discuss. It is such a packed week. We're going to be talking about Taylor Swift's 1989, which is number one again on the Billboard 200 Albums Chart, and what could potentially kick it out of the number one spot. We're going to be talking about Justin Bieber, his busy week. It looks like he's gearing up for a comeback. He's part of a Calvin Klein campaign. We'll talk about that. We will touch upon the Coachella and Governor's Ball Music festival lineups, uh, some interesting stuff there. And we have our first guest of the year, which is Ella Henderson, the lovely 19-year-old British pop sensation. She has a new album out in the U.S., Chapter One, and she will be talking about everything in her career, the Adele comparisons, working with Ryan Tedder, et cetera, et cetera. So that Didn't will she be win fun. X Factor or something? She... Was uh, she came in sixth place in X Factor oh, really? UK wow. in 2012? Yeah, 
I really like her single that Ryan Tedder wrote for her last year, the name of which escapes me, but it was really it good. It is Ghost, yeah. Ghost, it, yes. Num- number one hit in the UK, climbing up the Hot 100. So again, we'll, we'll get to Ella Henderson later in the show. She was absolutely lovely, lovely and stopped by uh, the Pop Shop Podcast. So first, Keith, we have a new number one song on the Hot 100. It is no longer Blank Space. Blank Space's reign is is over, at least momentarily. At least for the moment. <laughs> um, Crazy charts. We have a new number one, man, and we kind of saw this coming a little bit. Uptown Funk, Mark Ronson featuring Bruno Mars, overtakes Blank Space. It is number one for the first week this week. And not Bruno Mars's first number one, but I believe Mark Ronson's first number one, as yes. definitely as an artist. Certainly. But what pushed it to the top this week? Um, well, it was one of those songs I think that we kind of thought was going to be a number one hit. Yeah. I remember when we first talked about it in the podcast, I kind of felt like this has number one hit written all over it because it just sounds like it's a smash record. And hey, we were kind of right. Not kind of right. We were actually super <laughs> duper, totally, positively, absolutely right. Let's um, celebrate, man. Let's do it. It, it, had, it had a big gain in sales this week, actually. It sold 382 Actually, it didn't have a gain in sales. It just had a lower erosion than everyone else. But it yeah. sold 382,000 downloads. Uh, it was the biggest selling song of last week. That was down only 12% in sales. And in this past week, which was the first full tracking week after Christmas, everything kind of collapses and falls off a cliff. So if you can actually maintain anything less than like 20% or like 15%, you're actually doing pretty darn good. Yeah. So um, that's super impressive. Um, that combined with its continuing uh, growth in airplay and streams helps it go to number one. I'll just recap some stats for you. This is Bruno's sixth number one on the Hot 100 chart. Um, again, all of these number ones have come since he showed up on the chart back in two, 2010. So they've they've all accumulated in a very very short time. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's Mark Ronson's biggest hit. Um, Mark Ronson is the producer of the song. I don't think he actually sings on the song anywhere. He if he does, he's somewhere in the chorus maybe. Yeah. Um, and of course, uh, Ronson uh, produced and uh, co-wrote the song. Um, he also, I believe, uh, Jeff Basker also co-produced it with uh, Bruno Mars as well. Yeah. Um, and here's some other stats for you. It goes 10 to 9 on the Radio Songs chart, which is a component chart to the Hot 100. Uh, 2 to 1, as I said earlier, on the Digital Songs chart. And then 4 to 2 on the Streaming Songs chart. So with all those gains, it's probably settling in for a, a healthy run at number 1. Of course, anything is possible. Uh, Rihanna could drop a song out of the sky this week and and, and make everything go haywire in the know. chart. You never know. Well, yeah, I so mean, I, I, I was going to say, I was going to ask if you kind of foresee a, a long run at number one for this song. Uh, I, I definitely think that, like like you said, you you brought that you char- you brought that chart firepower in the in the first segment of the first show of 2015, man. Just dropping knowledge right there. I appreciate that. And uh, it, sure. <laughs> no, but it's it sounds like it, it's like like you said it's it's gaining kind of across the board, and in in terms of digital songs, uh, in in the weeks after Christmas, kind of dropping only what I think you said twelve percent, so only a slight dip in digital sales. So I, I mean, it's it looks like it's going really strong, man. And um, while this is Ronson's first credit as an artist on the chart. Um, which is sort of an interesting credit because he's a producer, but yeah. he, this this is a single from Ronson's own upcoming album, which comes out later this month. Um, it's called Uptown Special. So therefore, of course, this song will be credited as Mark Ronson featuring uh, Bruno Mars. And when people people probably wonder how artists are billed on the charts, the, the, the billing that we give artists is billing that, is, that comes from the record label that releases it. It's not like Billboard just arbitrarily decides who gets artist credit and who doesn't. So... This song was promoted as Mark Ronson featuring Bruno yeah. Mars, even though Bruno Mars is effectively the the only singer you're really hearing on the track. Um, and this is Ronson's first credit as an artist on the chart, as I said, but it's not his first credit as a producer on the Hot 100. He uh, produced, of course, Amy Winehouse's Rehab, Back to Black yeah. album, which produced the top 10 hit Rehab. Um, but he also produced a couple of Bruno Mars tracks before this album, including Locked Out of Heaven, which spent six weeks at number one. Yeah. So there, there you go. go. And it's it's interesting to note that we think of Bruno Mars now as a leading man and with all these hits under his belt as a solo artist, but he kind of started his career as a featured artist. You think of Nothing on You, B.O.B., his first number one was B.O.B. featuring Bruno Mars and... 
Another hit for him was Travi McCoy featuring Bruno Mars' Billionaire. So he, this seems kind of like a stopgap song between his second album, Unorthodox Jukebox, and his upcoming third album, whenever that drops. But obviously a hugely successful stopgap. Yes. So a little lower on the Hot 100 this week, Kanye West is back. And he's brought Paul McCartney with him. Hey, look at that. Hey. Only one, the song that he dropped basically at midnight on New Year's Eve and caused a lot of music journalists out there who were celebrating to not thinking about. To lose their collective marbles. To panic. Yeah, we were panicking a little bit. but you Oh, know. my God. I have to find a computer. I'm drunk and write a Kanye story. <laughs> drunk because you've toasted the new year. Of course. You know, you're probably at a party and your Twitter starts to blow up and your and cell like, phone oh. is going. Off. I'm just picturing this as Jason probably at like 1 a.m. on New Year's morning. It's like, what? No. Well, you know what happened? <laughs> That's a great impression of my voice, by the way. What? <laughs> no. I don't. I don't do a good Jason impression. I uh, no. I, I was out on New Year's Eve. Luckily, someone else on the Billboard.com team was not out and dutifully wrote that story off. I will say that on about three hours of sleep on New Year's Day morning, I did bang out a top ten. Kanye West collaborations, his essential collaborations list. Was and Madonna and Kanye West on there with uh, The Beat Goes On from her uh, Hard Candy album? Definitely was not. Definitely was Dang. not. Dang. I know, man. I know. Man. Scott, he, had a, he has a lot to choose from in terms of collaborations. But you like American Boy, Estelle and Kanye. That's a great one. That's yeah. a great one. So that was on there. Anyway, back to only one. Yeah, sorry. Back to the new single. So it's, it starts at number 35 on the Hot 100 this week. I, I have to assume that that's mostly through digital sales, though, right? Um, yeah, let me look at the chart real quick. Um, yeah, it's 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 basically all from digital sales. It sold um, over 100,000. Um, that, that's a really exact figure, isn't it? It's, you yeah. know, it's over a number. It's it's sold like a hundred and something, you know, like a little bit. It sold 125,000 downloads okay. um, in the weekend in January 4th. So that's a pretty, you know, considering the, the song just kind of dropped out of the sky um, on New Year's Eve, no less. Uh, that's yeah. a pretty that's a pretty great number. Yeah, I, I mean, especially because this isn't like your typical Kanye West huge single it, it's not as catchy as something like stronger it's a very touching song where he discusses his late mother and and talks about you know finding fulfillment in life and it, it's a nice it's a nice way to start off 2015 absolutely well, i mean it, it's a really i mean i'm not like i'm not a kanye expert by any stretch of the imagination and i'm not necessarily like a, a devotee I, yeah. I mean i'm super casual fan sure. and i think you know like a lot of people like he can be very hot and cold um, in terms of, of what people might like of his stuff because he can really turn people off or he can make a really fun, happy, you know, stronger type song. Exactly. Um, but with this song, I thought it was really interesting how, you know, the story behind it, so says the press release, is that, you know, when he and Paul McCartney were working on the song together, um, the song just kind of flowed out of him. You know, he didn't he didn't know where the lyrics came from. And, and when, when they played it back, he didn't, he didn't recognize the lyrics because he didn't know where they came from. And, and basically this, the song is sung as if it was his mother uh, singing to him. Yes. Um, and, yeah. and, and basically just saying, you know, you'll, you'll be okay. You'll be all right. And, and, and I thought that the end when, when uh, he's singing, you know, say hi to, you know, my daughter. For yeah. Me. Tell Nori about me. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I mean, it's you very, can't help but it's to have very, all the feels. It's very you know? affecting. And I will say that uh, Billboard.com's hip-hop editor, Erica Ramirez, wrote something really, really touching about this song. And that is up now on Billboard.com. We'll link to that in the podcast post. So, Keith, before we move on, do you see this song dropping off on the Hot 100, enduring on the Hot 100, kind of growing? And like we said, it, it is it is touching, but it's a little bit of an offbeat track, not really a radio track. What do you think? Um, well, I think certainly initially uh, the interest is just first week sales rush. I, I think it'll probably have a dip next week. Um, it'll be interesting to see if radio um, and streaming services actually embrace this and, and, and make it a hit because it's 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 an unconventional song. Um, I think it'll get a lot of interest outside of the traditional Kanye West uh, fan because it has Paul McCartney on it. Um, those wondering, the song is credited to, I believe, Kanye West featuring Paul McCartney. Yeah. Um, 
Paul uh, plays keyboards on the song. He doesn't sing on it, but he's playing keyboards. And uh, in turn, he actually gets his first top 40 hit on the Billboard Hot 100 since 1989. Wow. uh, Since My Brave Face went to number 25. So thanks to Kanye. 26 years. Unbelievable. Yeah, you know, it's it's been a it's been a it's been a moment. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. Um, so I don't know. It, we'll we'll see. But I think definitely next week it's going to go down a little bit. But it could certainly rise back up. Very cool. All right, switching over to the Billboard 200 albums chart, where Taylor Swift Taylor Swift you know took took a little bit of a dip on the Hot 100 chart with Blank Space, not at number one anymore. But 1989, eighth week at number one, non consecutive eighth week at number one on the Billboard 200 albums chart, and you know, looking at the chart and looking at its sales, it's it's basically, I, I believe number two was Nicki Minaj, The Pink Print, and 1989 sales this week basically triple The Pink Print sales. So you look at this chart and you wonder when can 1989 be knocked out of number one? It kind of reminds me of when Frozen was having its run, the soundtrack was having its run last year. I mean, what what do you think, Keith? Just looking at the month ahead, do you see an upcoming album that could potentially knock 1989 out of number one? Well, not to confuse things too much, but remember the new Billboard 200 now is that all-consumption multi-metric chart sure, where we sure, take album sales, uh, streaming song equivalent sales, and uh, track equivalent sales. So the numbers that we talk about in terms of its units, um, where the pink print is number two, that's based on those three things added together. Um so you have to think of it in, in those terms where you have to look at not just how well an album is going to sell in the next month, but do they have a hit single? You know, Are they big on the streaming services? So that's how you have to look at certain albums like, say, Megan Trainor's title um, on January 13th. She is reissuing her EP in a deluxe version, uh, expanded version. I think they're adding like five or six songs. Yeah. Um, so think of its album sales that week, plus all the streams of like Lips Are Moving and All About That Bass and the track yeah. sales. It's going to have a pretty big week, so I think it's it has a shot at number one. But then don't count out Mark Ronson with his own album, Uptown Special, on January 13th. Of course, it has the Uptown Funk track, which is doing huge track sales and huge stream numbers. So that is also possibly a contender, certainly for top five. Yeah, you, you wonder how many people are going to hear Uptown Funk and be like, oh, I have to hear... The rest of, or I need to purchase the rest of the market. But Watson remember, song. you have all those streams and track yeah. sales just from that one song that's, that's helping true. the album on the Billboard 200. Period. Because you have all the TEA and SEA, so it's it's a slightly more complicated math. It's not just simple album sales anymore. I think though Taylor Swift is still so big, that's it's going to be hard yeah. to have anyone beat her. Yeah, because as as big as Uptown Funk is, I mean, Blank Space is right there with it. So yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, another one to look at is uh, Fall Out Boy has a new album, American Beauty, American Psycho, coming out soon. They had a number one album in their last time with Save Rock and Roll back in 2013. Uh, a couple weeks, I think, Fifth Harmony is coming out with Reflection. Uh, I'm not sure that, that can really challenge 1989, but another yeah, big Fall Out Boy is January 20th. Fifth Harmony is January 27th. Yeah, so we shall see, my man. Um, before we move on from the album start, you wanted to note that soundtracks are kind of ruling oh, yeah. January. You're you're yeah. pumped for soundtracks. Well, so I, let, I, let's talk about this for a sec. Go, let, let, you you go for it. You go for it. The, the, Jason's basically saying, "Keith, I'm, this is all you." Because I don't know what you're about this to talk one, about. Yeah, yeah I, I, <laughs> here, take the ball, go run, kick it somewhere. Is, is that a right sports analogy? Yeah, Am I doing kick okay? the ball somewhere. Kick it. Do something. Most, that's what most coaches in sports say. Just kick the ball somewhere. Kick it. Go. Throw it to someone. I don't care what jersey they're wearing. Is it the wrong color? Who cares? Um, that was fun. And that's it. We're not going to talk about soundtracks now. Right. I'm eating up all my time. Done it, done. Um, so, no, on the top album sales chart this week, there are four soundtracks in the top ten, which is pretty crazy. So it's a little complicated, but just bear with me. The top album sales chart is our pure album sales chart. Um, it uses the old methodology of the Billboard 200, which used to be the pure album sales chart. So it, go with me on this one. We have four albums in the top 10 yeah. on the sales chart. We haven't had four soundtracks. We haven't had four soundtracks in the top 10 among the top 10 most popular albums chart 
if we just sort of frame it that way, in a very long time. How long do you think it's been since we've had four soundtracks among the top ten most popular albums? Four soundtracks? I gotta say, I'm thinking like late '90s. You're, yeah, well, you're you're correct. All right, so like I'm gonna say maybe like '98. Um, I did you did you? No, this is really no, this is really off the top of my head. I swear. Well, well, you're correct. Uh, wow, <laughs> really? I got one right. Yeah. Holy crap. It was actually uh, September fifth, uh, nineteen ninety-eight. Okay, so let me let me go for the, the oh the big one and try to. Oh, name okay, it okay, hold on. Well, let, let me bring up the chart then, so we can play along together. Uh, <laughs> uh, can you guess what the four soundtracks were that were in the top ten that week on the Billboard two hundred chart? Ninety-eight, eh? Yep, September fifth, nineteen ninety-eight, and none of them were debuts. By the way, they okay. were all holdover titles. So I'm gonna say Titanic. No. No, okay. That, I was thinking that would be too late for it, but I'm gonna say Wild Wild West. Nope. Oh, um, I think that might be my only guess. You're done. All right, I'll just tell you. Um, so uh, Armageddon, the album, uh, Armageddon, was number four yes. that week. Of course, powered by I Don't Want to Miss a Thing by Aerosmith. Then you had number seven, Doctor Doolittle, the album, featuring uh, Are You That Somebody. Um, number eight, How Stella Got Her Groove Back. I would not have guessed that in a million years, yeah. Yeah. And then number 10, City of Angels. Oh, my God. I was going to say City of Angels. Oh, well, you didn't. Oh, my goodness. I literally was like, City of Angels, but I thought that was 97. I guess it was 98. Yeah, there were there were multiple weeks in 1998 that had four soundtracks in the top 10. And even at one, at one point, we had five soundtracks in the top 10 uh, for one week. And that, that's, a, that's a record we've never had before. Uh, uh, more than well, that's uh, why five I said, soundtracks. That's why I said late time. 90s because that was such a fertile time for big movie soundtracks. Not uh, 98. Also, like I said, Wild Wild West, I believe, was 98, which had the huge, you know. Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. Uh, yeah, you know, Austin Powers. Uh, Godzilla. Wasn't the Godzilla soundtrack that year, I think? Uh-huh. So uh, It was. Uh, so, yeah, there was the, the Wedding Singer was popular that year. I oh, mean, yeah. really, remember, this was the time where before the digital era, and it, it, this was this weird time, and then I'll stop talking about it because I can talk about this forever. But it was that weird time in the late 1990s where the music industry refused to put out commercial singles. That you could not buy CD yeah. singles because that was the only way you could buy songs back then or actually own them was to buy a CD single or like a cassette single, but they didn't make them anymore. Digital didn't exist yet. But the industry basically shut down, like kind of like collapsed the singles business. Yep. So it forced everyone to go buy full-length albums. Yeah, so and if, you wanted, a lot to, of, if you wanted yeah. to buy I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, you had to buy the Armageddon soundtrack. Yes, you had to buy. Or if you wanted My Heart Will Go On, you had to buy Celine Dion's yeah. album or the Titanic soundtrack. Um, so, I mean, they, they did release singles here and there, but generally speaking, people were forced to buy full-length albums. And then, of course, everyone turned on them once the digital era started. So, I'll tell you what, man. That City of Angels soundtrack, which my sister owned, that was hot fire. Alanis Morissette, Uninvited. You got some Goo Goo Dolls. Yeah, you got them Goo Goo Dolls. Unbelievable soundtrack. Anyway, we have to move on, man. Yes, we do. Justin Bieber. So, he's had a busy week. He, he hasn't actually dropped any music per se. Well, but Cody Simpson track. He did something with Cody Simpson. So. That was a couple weeks. Yeah, that was a couple weeks ago, I guess. But um, in terms of this week, I mean, first of all, the, the rumor comes out that he's recording with Prince Jackson, mm-hmm. Michael Jackson's 17-year-old son. So Lord that's always interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> that's inter- That's a word for it. He's, uh, he's recovering from a foot injury. Get well soon, Justin. He most, I, I guess most importantly, he unveiled a Calvin Klein campaign. How much of himself did he unveil? Uh, he unveiled oh, a yeah. good amount of, I, I don't think he, un- I think unveiled is the wrong word because he's been shirtless Unleashed? so many times. Um, but Keith. I know, uh, it's, it's kind of unshocking. I'm like, so it's him shirtless. Yeah, it's, it's we've seen it all before. Keith, I, I uh, upon request, shirtless Justin Bieber or shirtless Nick Jonas? I have a question, though. Um, and w- 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 truth be told, we were talking about this before the podcast started, but but we, we refu- I refused to get into it because I wanted to save it for the podcast because it's always okay. better if we save it for the podcast. <laughs> like if we had actually saved our, our Madonna argument for the podcast. Um, how tall is Justin Bieber? Have you actually stood next to him in the past year or two? Um, no, not in the past year or two, no. Hmm. I'm not sure. 
Yeah, well, I here. I'm. I this is important. Um, how <laughs> this is important? I can't. I I don't know if I can agree with that. No, of course it's. He's only five nine. Okay. See, here's the thing. Justin Bieber is allegedly five nine, if we believe Wiki. Um, okay. Nick Jonas is about five eight. Maybe? Yeah, I'd say he's around five eight, five nine. Yeah, he's 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 slightly shorter than I am. But when you look at them, because and and we can't help but this, but it, you know, Nick Jonas was in a photo layout in a pair of Calvin Klein underwear, um, uh, aping the Mark Wahlberg um, campaign from the early nineteen nineties, um, and now Justin Bieber is the new Calvin Klein uh, spokesmodel, um, yep. where he's in a in a pair of Calvin Klein briefs. Um, and they're both black and white photos. So, of course, people are, are, are kind of comparing the two because they're both pop stars, both dudes, you know, kind of. There you sure. go. I, I think in a, it, it could be just me. I think Nick probably wins in the comparison of the two. Um, Justin's photos wow. are obviously very nice. Um, I feel like, though, there's slightly more sort of um, a little bit more je ne sais quoi in the <laughs> Nick Jonas photos. <laughs> Um, I, you literally, it, you could not find English words to describe the Nick Jonas show. I could, ones. but I was, I, I didn't want to actually say That's them because I That's think fair. it's a family show. It, this is a family podcast. Um, I, but, but I thought Justin, you know, when you look at the photos of Justin, he seems much taller because he seems so like lanky and kind of like twiggy like in a way, twiggy, like yes. where like Nick's, Nick's body seems more proportioned. And I just assumed Justin was like six, two or something. And he was kind of like trying to still fill out his body with working out. Yeah. And it's not quite totally working exactly very well yet, but well, I don't know. Food for also, thought. There's a, there's a lot of, um, Photoshop going on in Justin Bieber's photo too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it happens. You, I, you, you, I like the way Jason's just like, I don't want to even talk about this. I don't this really. Is just well, so you know what? It's if we can talk about <laughs> Nicki Minaj's like Anaconda and her booty, and we can talk about J Lo's booty. Why cannot? Why can't we talk we, about? Have we? I guess we've talked about like. I think we've talked about them in like a general term. I don't think we've like dissected each artist's All right. booty. Fine. Um, you're, listen, you're probably correct here. Well, here's, <laughs> here's here's the thing. I, I wrote a thing about Justin Bieber yesterday. It was basically the the do's and don'ts of his comeback it, because it seems like 2015 is going to be the year that he puts out a new album. Scooter Braun is Instagramming that 2015 is game time. Uh, Justin, we're ready was trending worldwide yesterday. So it, it seems like all of this is kind of leading to a new musical project. And wh- one of the things I did say in terms of the dues was to show some skin. I was like, hey, look look what happened with Nick Jonas. And uh, obviously, like, it, it had an impact. He's already, Bieber's already been shirtless a, a whole lot before. Might as well, you know, get it done tastefully. And look at that. Hours after I posted that, he, you know, he's the new well, face Clearly, they were Klein. following your suggestions. They were following my... They, they rushed into the studio with Calvin Klein and said, you know what? We got a great idea. Jason looked at the Did you read this should... post on Billboard.com? I should take we my shirt off. Listen. Well... Let me ask you a question, Keith. What what do you think is the most important thing for Bieber to do to really like successfully come back in 2015? His his public the public opinion of of Bieber is still pretty he's low, I would say. The the public opinion is that he's a douche. Is that yeah. he's like he's like sort of you know, uh, a a a kid who likes to break the law, who lives by his own rules, um and is given everything to him on a platter, um and you know, he has a bunch of Bieber fans. I mean, you know, that, that unfortunately, that's the perception of him. So what he yeah. needs to do is make a hit single, uh, refurbish his image so that people don't think of him as, you know, someone that's so unlikable. Um, but that could be very difficult because, you know, if he's just being himself, you know, if he's just being Miley, <laughs> you know, that's going to be hard to do. I think yeah. he needs a little bit of um, of, of image repairing happening yeah image resuscitation for sure i mean like i the 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 two things i said i mean two of i I said i made a lot of points in that but two of the things i said is that he should make some sort of apology song i don't know if you remember a couple years ago john mayer put out this song called shadow days which which was basically an apology song for being a dick like he Mm -hmm. was just like i'm a good guy and i've made mistakes and i'm sorry and those days are behind me now like i feel like that has to be done and then the the main point of the article like the last point i made was like justin just don't be a bonehead like just don't be a bonehead in 2015 like as long as you just put out music like i don't even think 
he needs like necessarily a smash single. Like if he does, if he makes out, if he makes music that does pretty well, but stays out of trouble, like I think that's a win for him. Like I think that that's a huge positive year for him to just like stay out of trouble and put out new music. Even if the music, like I said, isn't scorching hot, as long as he's not getting like arrested for drag racing, drag again, racing. Yeah. <laughs> then he'll be okay. Um, um, uh, before we move on, sure. I, w- I want I want to try to explain myself to a certain degree. Um, <clears throat> the uh, Calvin Klein discussion. Uh, sure, it, no, in, no, bear with me. In college, in my in one of my communications classes, I did a uh, like either a term paper or a, a big project uh, about um, the imagery of Calvin Klein and like sort of Bruce Weber and Herbert and and, oh. and their campaigns over the years, and th- how those images have impacted. Um, social views of you know sexuality and the male you know the, the gaze on a male and a female and how Calvin Klein really sort of changed how we view uh, the male form in an, in advertising and so that's when I talk about this it's it's in that context and also in the context of how interesting it is that a male pop star like Justin Bieber would be the face of a underwear brand you know that's that's kind of that's kind of a big deal um, in this day and age. Well, so that's I, that's where I'm coming from when I talk about it like that. And then, so of course, then I talk about, I'm looking at things like, oh, it's interesting what they did with this and the lighting of it and how his tattoos look. Junk like that is running through my head. Yeah, well, first first of all, I want to read that term paper, man. I, can you email that to me? Um, I'll try to find it. Okay. <laughs> Second of all, I totally agree with you. I think it is an interesting time for male pop stars in these campaigns. Like, look at, like, Nick Jonas... He has been unabashedly honest about showing skin and what it's done to help his solo career. And now we have this Calvin Klein campaign with Justin Bieber. And, you know, you'd think that Justin Bieber is, is, you know, he still has like 58 million Twitter followers. He doesn't necessarily need to be part of a Calvin Klein campaign. But obviously, you know, this is part of what he's doing now for his image. And it, it is interesting. I totally agree with you. Um, so we have to move on, man. As as we normally do, we um, we got to talk about transition. Transition to, to Coachella. Coachella. Ball. Bieber is not playing Coachella. I know. Well, he was there last year. You never know. Oh, that's right. He was. So he wasn't on the bill though. He was a surprise guest. He was a surprise. Hey, he he might come out with ACDC this year. You never know. Oh man. Uh, so Coachella and Governor's Ball lineups are out. They are the two uh, major U.S. festivals that have been announced thus far in terms of their lineup. Coachella is being headlined by ACDC, Jack White, and Drake. Governor's Ball has Drake, Dead Mouse, and Black Keys. And I did not write those down. I had to memorize those. So I I have the Coachella lineup in front of me if you didn't print it out. Well, it's a very I deep mean, let's lineup. let's just take let's just did you say it's a really weak lineup? Deep. Deep, deep lineup. Deep. Okay. So we don't have to really dwell on this too much, um, but I just wanted to get a couple quick thoughts from you. My my first thought is that like Drake is, I mean, this is going to be a big year for Drake. Like we all kind of assume that, but now he's graduated to festival headliner. I mean, he he hasn't been doing this before. He has played some festivals like Made in America in the past, but he hasn't headlined them. Now he he could be the outcast of 2015. In terms of, you know, he might be at Lollapalooza and Bonnaroo and Firefly. He might be headlining all of them. Um, Keith, I wrote a thing yesterday about some takeaways from the Coachella lineup. And one of the points I made was like, I'm not sure if ACDC is a festival headliner in 2015. And I got a lot of Twitter hate for it. People being like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Go back to writing Justin Bieber articles. No one has shook you all night long in a really long time. They, uh, they were like, "Do you know how many hits ACDC has?" I'm like, "Yeah, of, of course." I mean, I, I, you know, I'm a fan of ACDC. I just don't know if they should be headlining a festival in 2015, especially one like Coachella that has five stages and a lot of concurrent sets going on at the same time, and that crowd can be siphoned off by more contemporary artists. What, what do you think? I th- well, because I have never been to Coachella. Really? I, I Come on, yeah, man. really. It, it's not my thing. Um, the desert where it's a million degrees, hanging out with a bunch. Of, no. Um, 
but I'm fascinated by, I, literally, I truly am. And I always ask you all these business questions every sure. year about it. And you're like, dude, I don't know. I'm like, dude. Mm. Um, so I always think it's interesting to look at the lineup and look at you know who is the biggest on the bill yeah. in terms of the font size when you look at the flyer. And ACDC is obviously the biggest uh, on the first day. Um, but my question to you is, when they play... Are they playing against anyone else at the same time? Like yes. when they're closing the night, there are other shows going on at the same time? Yep. Yeah. But it won't be like they're not going to be up against like, you know, uh, I don't know. I'm looking at the list. I'm like, well, they're going to be up against Alabama Shakes? No, they're going to be up against, you know, Kimbra in some No, they'll be, they'll be up against, you know, it, it's funny because they they have other artists that are pretty well known play at the same time. But mm. usually in different genres. So I was looking at that lineup and I was like, probably like Ghostface Killer and Raekwon will play at the same time. And maybe Licky Lee will play at the same time um, yeah, on Friday. Then, you know, what, what's either going to happen is, I mean, I think you might be sort of undercutting or underestimating the the popularity of ACDC. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's not quite like seeing the Rolling Stones. <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite different. But... ACDC has, uh, you know, a huge catalog of enormous rock hits that basically everyone knows. Like, you know, anyone that has seen an Iron Man movie in the past decade is familiar with with ACDC. And if you're already there, you're probably going to watch them. And you'll probably be like, oh, wow, this is ACDC. Oh, this is a hit. You might have that moment of, whoa, I didn't realize. And this might be the first time that people have seen ACDC. for a while i mean their last tour was the black eyes tour back in i think like 2010 so i think it's 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 or 2009 i think it's been a while um so no i don't think that they're too old or not headlining enough (laughs) it's they have a new album and they're promoting it so it makes sense that's fair listen i i i totally respect that and i think that acdc will put on a great show i do worry because like i said when you ask that, you, you know, our sets going on during the headlining set at Coachella, it's not necessarily that way for other festivals. I know that bon- Bonnaroo, which I've been to many times, they don't they shut down the stages for about two hours while the headliner is going on. And they've always done that. And but Coachella has a lot of other acts going on. And two years ago, when the Stone Roses headlined Friday night. That's- that's very different from ACDC. That's very different. Than Are you ACDC? comparing the Stone Roses? Is the Stone Roses and ACDC the same thing in your head? They're they're not at all. They're not at all. Okay. ACDC has way more hits than the Stone Roses, but they also come from a different generation. And I witnessed the Stone Roses playing to a very small crowd as the headliner. Because no one knows who they are. I can't even name you a Stone Roses song. Well, and I would like to think that I'm kind of well versed in pop music. If I can't even name you a Stone Roses song, (laughs) what? I'm going to send you the Stone Roses album, too. You send me your turn paper, I'll send you the Stone Roses album. Done and done. I I think, uh, I I don't know if ACDC is going to do a bunch of other uh, festival dates, but I think this is a great way to sort of kick off the year with their rumored appearance on the Grammy Awards, the Coachella performance. And then, you know, what I assume is, is the big arena tour that's going to come up. You know, and they also kind of need it. I mean, they're going through a lot of drama right now they in the are, band. Yeah. So they, they need all the help they can get. Listen, I, I have much love for ACDC. I just, I, I don't <laughs> know about them as a headliner of Coachella in 2015. We have, to, we have to get to Ella Henderson. Ella Henderson is a rising star in the pop world. Speaking of the pop world. Um, her debut album, Chapter One, is out now overseas. It is out January 13th in the U.S. And her single, Ghost, like I said at the top of the show, Rising on the Hot 100, it was co-written by Ryan Tedder of One Republic fame. And definitely worth a listen, Chapter One. She talked about everything going on, X Factor, waiting for her big break, the meaning of Ghost, and again, those Adele comparisons. Check out Ella Henderson on the Pop Shop Podcast. How are you feeling right now? Because is this is this the moment you've been waiting for for months and years and all of your life? 
I guess I haven't been waiting. I've been doing a lot of working um, <laughs> to get to this point. You know, it's it's so exciting knowing that the album's going to be released out in the US. You know, I've spent almost it's almost been three years now since I began the whole process of writing this album, up to you know promoting it in the UK, having success in the UK, and traveling for quite a while. And now it's just the beginning of everything in the states. So um, it's very exciting. What are you most looking forward to in terms of like US fame and fortune and having this music out here? I don't think it's anything to do with the fame, you know. I just think it's, um, you know, this this country just holds so much heritage to music. And, um, you know, if if you have success over here with your music, then you just, you know, you feel something so different. You know, I can't wait to put, begin performing out here, for example. You know, the stages and the audiences and, um, you know, how many different states you have. You know, you're going to get so many different kinds of and types of people, um, you know, listening and relating to your music. And I think that's what I can't wait for. I Ghost, your single has been out for months on end, but I feel like it's really starting to latch on here, which is perfect timing. Tell me about this song and how it came together in terms of that feeling of longing. Like, I I, I get this, it's a very visceral song, and Mm -hmm. I get this sense that it comes like straight from personal experience. How, How did that song come together? So this song came about in a very crazy way. Uh, I uploaded a Drake cover online and Ryan Tedder heard it and he got in touch with the label and I was going back and forth and uh, he just fell in love with my voice. He said he loved my voice and he'd love to meet me. So when he came over to the UK, we got to meet one another. And remembering at this point, you know, I was ready for finishing the album and stopping all writing sessions and ready for almost, you know, literally like packaging it all up. Yeah. Um, I was almost nearly done. And then Ryan came in and, you know, that was an opportunity I definitely wasn't going to miss out on. And uh, we met. We met in a studio and it was just for about, you know, an hour or two just to see if, you know, he liked me and he wanted to work with me, you know, because this guy gets to pick and choose who he writes with. And Mm -hmm. he's very particular who he does write with as well, you know. Um, And, you know, to meet him, it was incredible. Just to be sat in the same room as him was, you know, amazing. You know, he's he's just got this energy about him. And immediately when we met, it was like we was two old friends. And we had some drinks, we had some food. And then, you know, after 20 minutes, we ended up sat around a piano writing this chorus called Ghost. And it was quick and as rapid as that. Uh, but we did, you know, talk a lot about what I have to say. And if there's one thing I want to share with the world, what do I want to say? And that was the biggest question he had for me. And for me, I was at a point where... I'd been writing for almost two and a half years um, and even though I'd you know I'd written with some incredible writers in the US and also back at home in the UK I still felt like I hadn't found my first single mm-hmm. and everybody goes on and on about how you know when it's your first single you get this gut instinct um, so yeah I just, to know when you're writing a song and get this gut feeling I had that immediately with Ghost and ultimately for me um, the word ghost is used as a metaphor to represent, you know, the frustration of me finding my first record. It's about something that's got a hold over you. You can't eat, you can't sleep, and it's niggling away in your head, and you're trying to overcome something, but you just can't. Um, yeah, that's what it's about. It's about something haunting you, and, you know, it's amazing how it's translated. You know, it's unbelievable how it's related to people. You know, a lot of people think I've gone through this absolute you know dreadful heartbreak (laughs) of you know a breakup yeah and I haven't it's you know it's something that's came about um with just in a studio environment it it was so cool to write though and uh you know and once we got onto the subject of ghosts you know it led into all different territories you know there's a lot of religious references and you know personally I'm not a religious person but it was so important for me to make sure that visually this song had very strong um strong images to it i wanted people to think of something in their mind you know i've never physically ran to a river and gone to pray but um visualizing somebody literally down on their knees with their soul on the floor that's what this song was meant to represent and uh, it's meant to represent somebody at an absolute point of despair and um i think that's why you know it's done what it's done so far did you ever get to that point with your music career of just being in like in in a place where you thought that it just wasn't going to happen just because it was taking so long yeah yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, you go through, um, you know, they say, so many people have said to me uh, from the record label, from management, even my parents, once you get on the roller coaster, it's a long ride and, you know, you will, 
you might say at times you want to come off it, but uh, you want to hop straight back on. And it's so true because there's times when literally, you know, when I was writing, you know, midway through my first year of writing, I was so high, so happy and, you know, around people all the time. And then there'd just be one day and I'd wake up and I think, why am I doing this? Is anybody even going to ever hear it? And, you know, does anybody even know about me? No one knows my name. No one knows this album, Chapter One. Nobody knows any of the tracks. And that's so scary to think about. Um, but yeah, it's kind of crazy that I did think that two years ago because this year's just been uh, such a crazy busy year for me. But I just want you to be sure that I am yours. It's interesting because you have, you're only 18, but you have such a, a stellar voice and your voices see, it's, it really is beyond your years. That's how it sounds to me. Who are some of the female singers songwriters artists that you've looked up to while you were putting these songs together oh um i would say that my musical references they're fundamentally from when i was a kid you know um i was brought up listening to a lot of old school music so my grandfather he brought me up listening to a lot of swing music and jazz music which meant i listened to some very uh very empowering women like Ella Fitzgerald, uh, Billie Holiday. One of the first records I ever heard was Billie Holiday, God Bless the Child. And it was on an old record player at my uh, my grandparents' house. And I heard that crackly sound with that mesmerizing voice. And there was something incredible that, you know, could make a room go silent. And all it is is a voice and just a simple track laid behind it. Um, you know, that'll always stick with me to know that, you know, music should, is it is at its best when it's just, you know, simple and just so minimalistic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then growing up, my mum would listen to Motown. So I listened to a lot of, uh, you know, incredible artists and uh, and icons of music like Marvin Gaye and the Shirelles and, and all that kind of stuff. My dad was into 80s. My brothers love reggae. So I was always surrounded by different styles of music, which meant growing up, I was listening to great albums um, and I was never into one particular person. Like I was never a kid who had one artist plastered across my room or I was, you know, I was a fan of a certain artist. I just used to love listening to different sounds. Um, and I guess when it came to writing my own record, that that's what I kind of would listen to. I listened to a lot of old and a lot of new. I mean, of, of you know, of today's century, there's artists that I absolutely admired. A fundamental album for me growing up was the Back to Black album by Amy Winehouse. Yeah. That was incredible. It just spoke out so loudly to me. Um, just to hear a voice like that doing something that was so throwback, but in her own modern way, it was incredible. Yeah. Um, Adele, Adele's phenomenal. She just stands and she sings and she blows everybody away every time she performs. Well, you get, I, I feel like you get a lot of Adele comparisons. Like I've heard <laughs> it more than once where it's like, have you heard Ella Henderson? Yeah, she's kind of like Adele. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you hear that? It's, do you feel like that's fair, unfair? Like I know it's, it's that's I mean, a lot that, of pressure, but. <laughs> it's the biggest compliment in the world. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm not here to step on anybody's toes and I'm not here to be Adele. Um, but of course I admire her for her work and she's definitely, she's a, she's a Golden Globe artist. She's made herself an icon of music. Um, and, you know, I'm sure she, she worked just as hard as any other artist to get there. You know, it didn't, it didn't just happen overnight. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of hers and you know, to get compared to someone like that, I could only dream of having half her success. So thanks again to Ella Henderson. Again, her album Chapter One is out in the US January thirteenth. Definitely a star to watch. She made it on to Billboard.com's list of ten artists to watch for twenty fifteen. You can check that out now on twenty on on 2015 on billboard.com you can check it out in 2015 it is that year um keith i'm i'm messing up left and right let's just get to your charts out of the week all right so all right all right so i'm like wolfman jack from the 50s or the 60s when wolfman jack was popular like was he like a retro thing in the seven never mind um so the chart start of the week this week is about pearl jam yeah 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 man i don't know why we always do the usher thing um so this week in 1994 uh 20 uh is that 20 years ago 94 yeah. that was 21 years ago 20 20 20 
Yes, 21 years ago. Um, Pearl Jam hit number one on the alternative chart with Daughter. Uh, Daughter was their first number one single on any of our charts. It actually hit number one on the mainstream rock chart in December of 1993, but it hit number one on the alternative chart, which people might be more familiar with, in January of 1994. January 8th, 1994, to be more precise. Um, It was their first hit on the radio songs tally um so it was kind of their first kind of breakthrough uh top 40 hit in a way um and it was uh their one of their 38 hits on the alternative chart uh, which is the second most hits on that list among all acts only u2 has more with 41 hits on the alternative chart now Daughter was one of four number one hits on the alternative chart for U2. Jason, can you name the other three by number Pearl, one hits? By Pearl Jam? Because by Pearl you just Jam. said you just said U2. Uh, I meant Pearl Jam. That's fair. <laughs> um Jeremy. No. No. Number five. Evenflow? No. Number twenty one. I know, oh. really? I know. Crazy, right? Alive? No, number eighteen. All right, I give up. Yeah, see, everyone everyone <laughs> thinks all those songs that they remember on MTV. Um, but the the interesting thing was um, back before Daughter, really. I mean, Jeremy was a big hit, but really those initial hits were kind of like mainstream, like harder rock yeah. radio uh, hits. Um, MTV. Oh, it's got to li- be Last Kiss. Last Kiss has got to be in there, right? Uh, no. All right, I give up. I officially give up now. Last Kiss went to number two. It's songs, actually, their number one hits are songs that you wouldn't necessarily think were number ones. So we said Daughter. Then Who You Are. Okay. Worldwide Suicide. Yeah, I was thinking about that one. That was, yeah. And then in in, uh, 2009, uh, Brother. Because, you know, Daughter, Brother. Um, So there you go. Your charts stat of the week. Thank you, Um, Keith. This week, this week in history, Pearl Jam's first number one single hit number one on the alternative chart. Rock on, man. Your charts out of the week. All right, that's going to do it for us at this Pop Shop podcast, the first one of 2015. A long one, but a good one. Uh, Keith, we are going to be joined next week by a very special guest. Looking forward to that. I think we'll have a little 2015 preview. I- I'm excited for this one, man. Uh, we'll, we'll let's let's just leave it at that. We'll yes. we'll leave it at that. Um, and we'll have some really cool guests coming up as well during the month of January. We have Grammys coming up. We have the Super Bowl coming up. It is an exciting time over here at Billboard. Keith, do you have any parting words? I do not. All right, man, let's go out because uh, on a mea culpa from ACDC, here is Back in Black. Thanks for listening and take care. If you're snacking on anything but tasty cake, you're making a huge Miss Cake. A fistful of chocolate-covered raisins? Miss Cake. A spoonful of peanut butter? Bigger Miss Cake. Or the worst Miss Cake of all, your kid's Halloween candy, and it's April. If it's not tasty cake, it's a Miss Cake. Because nothing satisfies like a perfectly sweet butterscotch crimpet. Or rich and creamy chocolate peanut butter candy cake. Tasty cake. Except no substitute. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.